Hello, and welcome to Murderous Affair, the podcast where we talk about women in history known for mayhem and murder. My name is Gabrielle, and this week's episode is actually inspired by Google Doodles. We're leaning a little more into the mayhem than the murder with talking about this person, Latinx Appreciation Month, which runs from September 15th to October 15th, and the Google Doodle was inspired by this month, and I realized I had no idea who this person was, and once I started researching and looking into her, I thought that there was no way I couldn't make an episode talking about her. We are talking about Jovita Irar, a Mexican-American activist who was a pioneer in the fight for Mexican-American rights during the early 20th century. She is a woman who was considered to be a trailblazer for many, a great teacher, and the woman who stared down a group of Texas Rangers and forced them to turn back from where they had planned on ransacking her work. Now, let's go through our resources because I have a bunch of great ones today. So, we have the Google Doodle celebrating Jovita Idar, which you can kind of go on google.com and search for Google Doodles and she should come up as one of the more recent ones. We also have a New York Times article where they talk about overlooked women in history and made a whole story covering Jovita Idar's life. And then there's also the womenshistory.org biography about Jovita Idar and Wikipedia. Jovita was born in 1885 in Laredo, Texas. She was one of eight children. Her father's name was Nicasio, and he was a newspaper editor and civil rights activist. Her mother was also named Jovita, and she was also involved in activism. The whole family was also lucky enough to get a good education, and were all very open and talked about the rights, privileges, and injustices their community faced. As a child, Jovita was described to be imaginative and an eager student. She went to a Methodist school called the Holding Institute in Texas and earned her teaching certificate there in 1903. Soon after she received it, she began, she began teaching. However, she found that she couldn't ignore the poor conditions that the Mexican-American students were subject to. Many of her students were underprovided for, the school lacking basic equipment like pens, pencils, or paper. See, at this time, the Mexican-American community in Texas also frequently faced violence and lynching. Her father would chronicle these events and wrote articles speaking out about the revolution in Mexico. So, she quit her job as a teacher to join her father's influential activist newspaper, La Cronica, which translates to The Chronicle. She began writing articles targeting the the many issues that Mexican-Americans were facing at this time. Apparently, one of her strong ideals was cultural redemption. She believed that the poor communities living on both sides of the U.S.-Mexico border could be uplifted by education and empowerment, and oftentimes wrote articles specifically discussing ways to approach and accomplish these goals. La Cronica was a transnational newspaper. It would specifically report on events that happened along the border and on the Mexican Revolution, which was happening at this time. There was a group of Mexican-Americans known as Tejanos who'd been living in Texas since before the modern U.S. border was established in the 1840s. Jovita and her family often addressed the struggles that these people faced, both with the inferior and separatist housing and schools, the terrible conditions the Tejano workers had to face, and the violence that was targeted towards that community. She would often write under pen names such as Astrea, who was fittingly a Greek goddess of justice, and Ave Negra, 
which is Spanish for blackbird. She also wrote many articles about equal rights for women and would urge other women to pursue education and seek independence. In 1911, she and her family helped establish the first Mexican Congress to organize all Mexican Americans across Texas in the fight for civil rights. This Congress focused on many issues such as education and the lack of economic resources. It was in this year that she also funded the League of Mexican Women and served as its president. And in her opinion, the modern woman was someone with broad horizons. In one of her articles, she's quoted as writing, quote, science, industry, the workshop, and even home demand her best aptitudes, her perseverance and consistency in work, and her influence and assistance for all that is progress and advancement for humanity. In 1911, California gave the women the right to vote, and Jovita advocated for the women in Texas to, quote, raise your chins and face the fight. Much has been said and written against the feminist movement, she wrote in one of her articles. But, despite the opposition, women in California can vote on a jury and hold public offices. Education was a huge passion of hers, and she used her position in the League to identify and educate poor children and advocated for the schools to teach both in Spanish and English. She was really invested in making sure that Spanish continued for generations beyond her. The language, she said, was, quote, increasingly forgotten, and each day it suffers changes that materially hurt the ear of any Mexican as little versed as he might be in the language of Cervantes. She also hated that Mexican-American children weren't learning about Mexican-American history, especially those who went to school in areas that were originally considered to be Mexico's territory. Quote, if in the American school our children attend, they are taught the biography of Washington and not the one of Hidalgo, and instead of the glorious deeds of Juarez, they are referred to the exploits of Lincoln, as much as these are noble and just, that child will not know the glories of his nation. He will not love her, and he might even see his parents' countrymen with indifference. In 1913, during the Battle of Nuevo Laredo, during the Mexican Revolution, Jovita actually left her position at her, fam at her family's newspaper to cross the border and work with La Cruz Blanca, which is a medical aid group basically like the Red Cross. She worked in the army as a nurse for about a year before returning to Laredo. When she came back, she began working for a newspaper called El Progreso. While there, she criticized the U.S.'s involvement in the Mexican Revolution in an editorial. And in that editorial, she criticized President Woodrow Wilson's order to send military troops to the Texas-Mexico border. Now, in early 1900s Texas, you can imagine that this wasn't taken very well. There was some pretty rampant racism there against the Mexican-American people, like I mentioned before, most of which came from from none other than the Texas Rangers. It's almost like this country has a long extended history of racism present in its law enforcement community that has historically led to more aggression and violence towards people of color. But hey, what do I know? So the Texas Rangers didn't like the article, and they showed up to the offices of El Progreso in 1914 intending to shut it down. When Jovita heard of it, she waited at the front door to block them from entering. They tried to get her to leave, but she refused and argued with them and argued that their attempts to silence the newspaper would be a violation of its constitutional right to freedom of the press under the First Amendment. So you know that Captain America quote, not to go completely off topic, but the one that a lot of people know from the Civil War movie? I think Jovita standing up to the Texas Rangers like that, like how she did, is basically the epitome of that no, you move line. The Rangers turned back, but they returned the next day when Jovita was gone. They ransacked the office and destroyed the printing presses there. It doesn't say if the newspaper ever recovered, but Jovita definitely did. She returned to her family's newspaper, La Cronica, and eventually ended up taking over the newspaper from her father, running it with her brothers and continuing her pursuit for justice. 
She married Juan Bartolo Juarez in 1917 and moved to San Antonio, Texas. Together, the couple established the local Democratic Club, where she worked as precinct judge for the party. She also established a free kindergarten and worked as a Spanish interpreter for patients at the hospital who didn't speak English. Somehow, she also found the time to teach infant care courses for women and edit El Oraldo Cristiano, a Methodist church newspaper. And throughout all of that, she also raised her sister's children when her sister died giving birth to them. Jovita Idar died of a pulmonary hemorrhage and advanced tuberculosis when she was 60 years old on June 15, 1946. And that is the extremely accomplished life of Jovita Idar. Like I said, this person leads more away from the murder and maybe not necessarily even traditional mayhem that we cover on this podcast, but I felt like it's important to recognize that sometimes while you're engaged in the pursuit of justice, that a lot of times these figures in history were labeled as uh, mischief makers or those who were going against the law or caused trouble. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I know it's a little bit shorter, but I would love to know what you think. Feel free to reach out to me at frumiousreads, F-R-U-M-I-O-U-S-R-E-A-D-S on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, basically any kind of social media. Or you can check out the podcast homepage and leave a comment on this episode link at frumiusreads.com forward slash a dash murderous dash affair. Thanks so much for listening and stay spooky friends. I'll talk to you later. Goodbye.